I'm not sure whether it's uh, to your, your benefit or perhaps to your uh, short future dismay, but uh, this morning you guys have, have stumbled into arguably, if not my, my favorite theological subject, then certainly uh, one of the very tippity top, something that uh, I guess appeals to me, something that I really enjoy, uh, a concept which I've uh, tried to wrap my head around uh, quite a bit. And we'll, uh, we'll get a little more into it, obviously, as in the body of the message. Um, but basically, ever since I discovered, ever since it was, ever since I was educated about the fact that, of course, God is glorified in the things which are uh, obviously Christian. Uh, you guys coming here today, uh, listening to the, uh, the reading of God's word, praying, singing together. Absolutely, yes and amen, God is glorified in these things. Uh, but the fact that he can be glorified in all of everything we do is, is something which, uh, when I became aware of that, just sort of blew the, the lid off my brain and I thought, this is an amazing concept. Uh, and that basically is the, the sum of the message. So the, the title uh, is Doxological Living. Uh, and if I were to give it a, a tagline, it would be from the minute to the magnificent glorify God. So if you're going to tune out now, then that's what you needed to listen to. But uh, I'd, I'd say stick around as well. So it's good, I think, that, that last week, and whether it was by Tom's design or otherwise, I don't know. Uh, but it was good last week, I think, that we focused on the glory of God as an attribute of him. And subsequently this week to focus on glorifying God. Because if we focus firstly on glorifying God... It can be tempting to think that if, if we didn't exist, if creation didn't exist to glorify God, then he wouldn't be glorious. Whereas that is completely false. God is glorious whether we exist, whether the rest of creation exists or otherwise. He doesn't rely on us in order to, to point glory toward him. And it's a, a great blessing, a great, it ought to blow our minds that, that jars of clay uh, with nothing inherently to offer, are able to participate in this thing of glorifying God uh, indeed in all we do. But in complement that, to that and uh, in, in recapping uh, some of the thoughts from last week, the, the five main points that I had were, firstly, God is glorious in his creation, ordaining, sustaining, and being the goal or the end of all things. Secondly, God is so glorious, man cannot see him and live. Thirdly, God is to be feared in his gloriousness. Fourthly, and it was as much an application as it was a point, meditate upon God's glory as an attribute of him, something which I think is often absent from our Christian walk. And fifthly, God alone is worthy of all glory. God doesn't share this glory with another. Uh, and You'll perhaps remember last week that we uh, went through the fact that that is actually a good thing. Uh, it's a good thing in and of itself. And secondly, uh, again, amazingly, it's in our best interest that God doesn't share his glory with another. We also looked at, at the, the solas of the Reformation, that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, as revealed by Scripture alone, and all to the glory of God alone. And secondly, in, uh, in Chucky Spurge or Charles Spurgeon's catechism, 
uh, what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You exist, man, woman, child, in order to glorify God. That is the thing which you are here for. I was very pleased uh, recently when uh, my wife's not really boss, but the, uh, one of the, the heads of the, the organization that she does some stuff with asked her what her purpose was, and, and she answered basically with that. So even in, in direct sales, the goal is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And you'll remember uh, in the, the latter parts of the, uh, the message, I, I sort of dropped a quote and said, I'm just going to leave that there. You guys can mull that over during the week. Uh, and it was about our friend, the Christian shoemaker. Uh, and it's, it's attributed to Martin Luther, but there's some debate on whether he said it or not. But regardless of who said it, it's a good quote. The Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes, because God is interested in good craftsmanship. And I think that's a, uh, a good uh, outworking, a good fleshing out of what we have in 1 Corinthians 10.31, uh, and indeed in the, the complementary Colossians passage that we'll look through. Uh, that So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The point of it, uh, is that God is glorified in as much as we pursue whatever we do with excellence, doing it uh, unto his glory and in the service of him. And last thing in introduction, and then we'll sort of move into the body. Uh, in or around the year uh, 212 BC, Rome was laying siege to Syracuse. And so the legend goes, uh, they were due to, to win a great victory over it. And this was until the mathematician Archimedes designed and, and made a, a giant mirror along with a whole bunch of other smaller mirrors, which he subsequently uh, positioned in such a way that as the Roman ships were invading, he used the sun's rays to reflect off these mirrors onto the Roman ships, uh, subsequently setting them alight and winning a great victory. Uh, so against the odds, he, he wins this victory. Now, uh, those of you who are familiar with Mythbusters will know uh, whether or not this is perhaps plausible or otherwise. Uh, but regardless, this is akin to the image I get in my head of the glorifying of God. With the, the sun metaphorically as God and the, the rays of light issuing from it as his glory, uh, we exist uh, not so much to, to set Roman ships alight, but in order to, to reflect that glory straight back to him not to destroy him once again, uh, but in order to, to reflect back to him what is rightly his. This is uh, metaphorically in a visual picture, us glorifying God. Uh, so perhaps with that, let's, let's <coughs> pray and then move into the, the body of the message. Thank you, Lord. It is an amazing thing as even we've uh, contemplated in this introduction that we get to participate in this thing of glorifying you. And we acknowledge from the get-go that uh, this is for, for nothing meritorious in ourselves, no good that we bring to the table, Lord, but it is all uh, from you, through you, and to you. So, Lord, may we approach this subject uh, joyfully and with enthusiasm and yet humbly, Lord. I pray it to your glory and in your name. Amen.
So allow me just uh, a couple of sentences in, in definitions. So the, the title of the message, as I said, is doxological living. Uh, the word doxology or doxological uh, comes from two Greek words, doxa meaning glory and logos meaning uh, word or, yeah, meaning word. And so you put those together and, and it basically means doxology is giving praise to God. So hence doxological living uh, is indeed, as I've been saying, uh, glorifying the Lord in, in all of life. And this is a, a very high charge. It's a great charge. Uh, and you could say that it's uh, attainably unattainable or perhaps unattainably attainable. That we'll never reach the extent of it, this side of glory. Uh, but it is something which nonetheless we ought to pursue uh, with great zealousness every day, every night, throughout the whole of our existence. So, into the body. I think the, well, being someone who thinks in terms of uh, logical and, and, and foundational things, it's important first to, to lay the foundation. Why is it that we should glorify God in all things? How is it that God is even uh, worthy to receive glory in, in all that we do, not just the, the Christianly things, quote unquote? Christ's kingdom, and I'm going to throw a few verses at you. Don't turn to them just yet. I'll get you to turn to one in a second. Christ's kingdom is all-pervading. He is King of kings and Lord of lords, as Revelation 19.16 says. And Daniel 7, uh, the next series that we'll, we'll go through, uh, in verses 13 and 14 says, I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, second person of the Trinity, Jesus. And he came to the Ancient of Days, the Father, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, and hear the scope here, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus' kingdom is over all all peoples, nations, and languages, and his dominion is everlasting. He is not just king of, of Israel, but he is king of the world. All peoples, nations, and languages are under the authority and the dominion of Jesus. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, you're probably familiar with it without even turning there. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have command you, commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And I'll unashamedly say it again. Most Christians go, Jesus has all authority in heaven, in that celestial realm, way up there somewhere where there's angels and you know, all the, the people who have died in Christ, and great, I can accept that. Jesus has all authority there. But Jesus says, all authority in heaven, that place, and on earth has been given to me. And he even goes forth on that foundation to say, go therefore and teach all of the earth what I have commanded you. Not only do I have authority over the earth in some abstract fashion, but go and teach them what I have taught you. With that authority that I have over earth, go and teach it what I have taught to you. 
Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God creates all things. He has authority over all things. Uh, we therefore have an ability to glorify him in all things. And Romans 11, uh, verse 36, and I said I'd get you to turn somewhere. You might like to turn, if you have your Bibles, to, to Romans 14, just whilst I go through chapter 11. Romans eleven thirty six from last week. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Abraham Kuyper summarized uh, perhaps all of these sentiments well when he said, There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, <coughs> does not cry, Mine. So such a view of the glorifying of God, that he is glorified, yes, of course, in the things which are um, obviously Christian, but the fact that he is can be glorified and is glorified as we pursue him in all of life, it blows the roof off the limitations that we readily accept as glorifying to God. And let me uh, be very careful to stress that the what we might call the ordinary means of grace. So those things I listed before, reading the word, coming together uh, to worship, singing to him, praying. These things are, are vitally important and are the, the simple answer to, I think, many of life's complex questions. So they're vitally important. I don't want you to, to think that I'm saying those things are to be dumbed down. Uh, but the fact that God is glorified, yes, in those, and also the whole of existence, uh, way increases the scope of our glorifying of the Lord. So if you've drifted off, uh, come back because Romans 14 verses 17 to 18 says this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. I sort of think, why, why look at this verse? How does this tie into the whole glorifying of God thing? He says the kingdom of God is not, not a matter of things. It's not a matter of the, the rules that we set up about particular things per se. It is a matter of the foundational attitudes that we take to our use or lack thereof of those things. It is a matter of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit and of service to Christ. And the reason why I think that's important uh, is because during the message today, indeed probably already, uh, I'll talk about what we, what we do and a lot about things. And it's important that you know that I'm not talking about those things as fruits in and of themselves, but rather the foundational attitudes that we take toward those things. Hopefully that makes sense. So as a foundational point uh, from which the rest of the message springs off, because God created all, has authority over all and owns all, he is therefore to be served and glorified in all. So 1 Corinthians 10.31. If you want, you can turn to it, but we're just going to go from that verse. It says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Joel McDermott, a Christian speaker and author, picks up on this well when he says, He's an American guy, which will make, it red, make itself readily apparent in a second. He says, when we say solely Deo Gloria, 
We have to believe it. About every square inch of the universe and every moment of history and every moment of our future, about every diaper you change, every dish you wash, every log you carry, every bit of manual labor you do, every time you wash your car, I mean, just the most minute things in your life is all Coram Deo. It's all a part of God's plan. Coram Deo meaning uh, before the sight of God. So everything you do from the most minute uh, to the most magnificent thing is all done in the sight of God. And therefore we ought to do it all uh, to his glory. And I think it's worth, worth asking uh, for the sake of, of context. The passage in 1 Corinthians 10 uh, is it applicable to what I'm saying here, that, that God can be glorified in all things? Because it comes in the context of a, a debate about, you know, can we eat meat that is offered to idols or can we not? So I think it's very much useful to uh, this notion of glorifying the Lord in all things. Because if Paul were, were just wanting to solely address the issue of uh, eating of meat that's been offered to idols, he could well have said, so whether you eat the meat or not, do it to the glory of God. But instead, he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So Paul takes that, that initial uh, very relevant argument to them at the time and he looks at the foundational issue below it. What motive are you doing that eating of meat or otherwise with? Are you doing it with the notion of, of glorifying the Lord, of, of blessing your brother, of not putting a stumbling block uh, in front of them? Or are you doing it uh, selfishly, whether it be just to enjoy the pleasure of the meat or, or you know, to, to flaunt your own liberty, whatever it might be? Whatever you do, whether you eat meat, whether you don't, whether you drink, whether you don't, do it all to the glory of God. And what an amazing notion that God can be glorified in the way that we do such an everyday task as eating and drinking. In Titus 2 verse 3, which says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. You might remember a few months ago when preaching through this, I said, in your wine consumption or your consumption of anything really, if you cannot say, that you are consuming it to the glory of God, and there's a problem. So that's sort of the, the negative, but Paul in, in 1 Corinthians here is talking about the positive application, <coughs> being that things as everyday as drinking, whatever the liquid might be, uh, can be a, a way in which we glorify the Lord. So as you uh, take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit, your body, uh, by keeping it hydrated, you glorify God. As you give thanks to God for the thing you are drinking, its taste, its hydrating value, the craft that's gone into it, for example, etc., you glorify God. As you consume that liquid, acknowledging that God is the source of all things, again, you glorify God. And so you might be thinking, Tobias, why belabor the point on something as insignificant as drinking? But that right there is the very point. God is glorified in something as, as menial and that we do every single day, multiple times a day, such as drinking, as eating, as breathing, right the way through to the creation of the whole universe. 
See, if God is glorified uh, in, say, just the most magnificent things, then instead of God being glorified metaphorically from here to here, maybe he's only glorified from, from here to here. But the fact that he, we can glorify him as we eat and as we drink and as we breathe and as we go about doing whatever we're doing every single day increases the scope vastly and in, yeah, increases the scope so we can glorify him in, in all that we do. This can be something which is constantly uh, on our minds, in our hearts uh, to go about doing. But in saying that, we ought not to just acknowledge that God can be glorified and say, it's a great theological point, fantastic. May I encourage you to, to take the Nike approach to, to just do it, to go out and intend to glorify God in all things. That God's kingdom uh, is over all and that he may be glorified in all lawful activities gives great and wholesome meaning to all of life. This is perhaps another amazing thing about this notion that yes, God is glorified in all of life, but the fact that he is that gives great meaning to all that we do. No longer does one simply wash the dishes, but you wash the dishes to the glory of God. No longer does one simply take out the rubbish, but you take out the rubbish to the glory of God. No longer do you simply pursue an occupation, whatever that might be, but you pursue that occupation, you do it with diligence and excellence to the glory of God. You have and raise children to the glory of God. You come and worship on a Sunday to the glory of God. You can fill in the rest here. It goes on and on and on and on. And so two points from uh, the first Corinthians passage. God can be glorified in all lawful things, from the minute and minuscule to the magnificent and magnitudinous. God can be glorified. And secondly, the fact God is glorified in all these things gives great meaning to all of life. Uh, to move on to a, a very much related uh, but different passage, uh, Colossians 3, 23 to 24. It says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. And it's very complementary to, uh, to verse 17, just a few verses earlier, which says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And so two key concepts that, uh, that endeavour to... Uh, solidify our glorifying of the Lord in all things. Firstly, you are an ambassador of Christ, serving him in all you do and are. As indeed verse 24 says, you are serving the Lord Christ. And to take this from just a, a point to try and make it a little more, uh, bring it to our, our, our hearts as it were. Imagine that you were... Uh, chosen by, for whatever reason to be an ambassador of Australia to pick your country, uh, but let's just say to, to England. So you're chosen uh, to represent the entirety of Australia in England. And so you're, you're flown, I assume, to London. I imagine that's where uh, the Australian embassy would be. And you live there, and in everything you do and say and the decisions you make, 
you represent the nation of Australia. <coughs> and you would perhaps consider that an honour, I don't know. But nonetheless, you represent Australia in all you do. It's very much akin to, uh, to this notion of being an ambassador of Christ. If you are a Christian, if you are a Christ one, then in everything you do and say in the entirety of life, you represent Christ, which is both a, a fearful charge uh, and also one that, once again, uh, gives great scope to the glorifying of the Lord. And the second concept from Colossians 3, Christ is your reward and rewarder. The inheritance is eternal life in the kingdom of God. And it's important lest we think that the, the things, once again, that we glorify the Lord with uh, are the enjoyment in and of themselves, are the reward in and of themselves. Really, it is Christ, the foundation of those things, uh, who is both our reward and our rewarder. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? The implication being that the, the righteous will inherit this kingdom. And so keeping those two things in mind, that you are an ambassador of Christ in all we do, in all you do rather, and that Christ is both your reward and your rewarder, keeping those things in mind will stop us from serving the many good things that God gives us in this world as opposed to serving him. Because if we become too fixated on the, the things or the ways that we glorify God, then we've missed the point. The point is, uh, the reason, capital R, referring to, to God, the point is the reason we do what we do. We must have our treasure and our motivation in heaven and in serving God. The things and ways we glorify God are fruits of that foundational standpoint. And again, in application of this, a, a few weeks ago, uh, Tom preached a message in which one of the lines he said was something along the lines of uh, the, the main goal of the Christian life is not even to have a good family. And I, as a person who perhaps has a fairly high emphasis on the family unit, I, I had to take 30 seconds for myself, and it didn't take very long. Uh, I had to take a little bit for myself to think, what do I think of that? That the main goal of the Christian life is not even to have a good family. And I thought, no, it, it, that's, that's bang on. And I would strengthen the comment to say that not only is it not the main goal, but in fact, if we pursue a family or even a spouse in absence of pursuing Christ, then it is idolatry. We need to have our, our pursuit of Christ, of God, as the foundation for all that we do. Now, praise be to him, if we, if we and our spouse and our family do that with zealousness, the natural outworking will generally be that we have a good marriage and a good family. But the foundation is the pursuit of Christ. So, putting the, the whatever statements of verses 17 and 23 of Colossians 3 together, uh, you would get something like this. And just, once again, consider the magnitude of how we glorify the Lord in all of life. Verse 17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Such an attitude 
can stop the mundane from becoming just that, boring and mundane. If you keep in mind that you serve God in the things that naturally appear small, boring or repetitive, there is suddenly a greater obligation to serve God joyfully, but also a far greater meaning to the task, whatever you are doing. And indeed, as the, uh, the, the catechism question goes, that what is the chief end of man? It is to, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. What an amazing thing that God couples those two things together. As I've said before, it, it could have been, and rightly so, that, that God would say, yes, glorify me in everything you do, but it's really going to stink for you. But he says, glorify me in everything you do, and in that, I think as C.S. Lewis said, I'm obviously paraphrasing, uh, you will find your greatest enjoyment. In the, in the pursuit of Christ, in the glorifying of him in all things, that is where you will find your greatest uh, peace and enjoyment. So the point from Colossians 3. Because you serve God in whatever you do, work heartily at it with he himself as your goal and reward. In this, he will be glorified. So bringing the four uh, points from the sermon together. Because God created all, has authority over all, and owns all, he is therefore to be served and glorified in all. Secondly, God can be glorified in all lawful things, from the minute and minuscule to the magnificent and magnitudinous, God can be glorified. Thirdly, the fact God is glorified in all these things gives great meaning to all of life. And lastly, because you serve God in whatever you do, work heartily at it with he himself as your goal and reward. In this, he will be glorified. So once again, returning to our, our friend, the shoemaker. The Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Follow the metaphor with me. The, the shoemaker acknowledges as he pursues his craft that God created all and has authority over all that he does in his shoemaking. So he pursues it with zealousness to glorify the Lord. He knows that his, his shoemaking is a, a lawful thing and therefore ought to be pursued with excellence. And so he does it to the glory of the Lord. He knows that, that God, there is the ability to glorify the Lord as he makes these shoes. And so it gives great meaning to his task, his everyday labor, the threading of shoelaces, the, the stitching of, of the shoes becomes a, a wonderful task to him because he knows that there is meaning in it because he glorifies the Lord as he makes these shoes. And so hence again, because Christ is his goal and his reward. He does his craft of making shoes with great excellence. He desires to, to serve the Lord through that thing which he does. And so I hope that that's something, uh, regardless of what your, uh, your vocation is, that you can consider these things so that uh, in, in all that you do, you work heartily at it with great enthusiasm to glorify the Lord in the entirety of your life. Yes, as you uh, come and meet on a, a Wednesday and read through the word and pray and, and whatever else. And as you come here on a Sunday, in those things, absolutely. 
but as you pursue all of your existence, from sunup to sundown and, and everything in between, uh, that you would pursue that uh, unto the Lord. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, once again that we get to participate in this thing of, of glorifying you. And thinking again of the uh, Archimedes and the, the fashioning of mirrors to, to use the sun's rays, the, the mirrors and the mathematician essentially were nothing, Lord. They relied entirely on the sun. And Lord, we bring nothing to the table. We rely entirely upon you. So Lord, may we absolutely pursue glorifying you in the things that are most everyday, most repetitive, even most mundane. Uh, but may we do so keeping in mind that, that we serve you, that we are entirely reliant upon your glory in order to shine it back to you. Thank you, Lord, for the great meaning that this notion gives us in all of life. Uh, and I pray that we would go forward from this day in joy and enthusiasm with great peace uh, in all that we do, uh, because we do it unto you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.